thrilling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Okay, we are back. The number is 888-914-9149. We kind of ran out of time with you, Ed, in Monrovia, California. So I'm glad you held over. You had another question about confession, I think. So uh, let's yeah, take it so from just there. As a, yeah, thanks. So just as a follow-up. So, so when you're in a state of mortal sin, I understand the necessity to get to confession as soon as possible. But in that time period between committing a mortal sin and, and getting to confession... I think I've heard you say your soul is essentially dead. So, so any prayers, rosary, anything during that period of time, is that all in vain? Over. No. Um, and here's the distinction. That's a very good question you're asking. If you are unrepentant and you're in the state of mortal sin and you have no interest in changing, you're not sorry for your sins— uh, maybe you're planning to commit some more mortal sins, what have you, whatever the, that may be, then yes, all of those things, like if you were to pray a rosary or do something, there's no spiritual benefit because of the deadness of the soul. But if in the interim, before you went to confession, if you did repent, now you, you obviously have to repent and go directly to God, be sorry for your sins before you're even prepared to go to confession. So that precedes confession in any case, if you're going to make a good confession. But let's say that you have several mortal sins and you experience deep contrition. You're sorry for what you did. You, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go to confession. I'm, you know, I'm going to go as soon as I can, maybe this weekend, what have you. Well, in that case, you have been forgiven of your sins. Now, you haven't been absolved sacramentally, and that is a necessity if you can get to confession. But in that case, then your prayers are meritorious. And your, if you pray the rosary or whatever you might do, because you, you are seeking after the Lord's forgiveness. That's the distinction between somebody who isn't repentant and somebody who is. So it would depend on which category you were in. Does that make more sense? Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Thanks, Patrick. You're welcome. Good All chatting right, with it. you. Hey, have All a great right. You got it. 888-914-9149. We'll go now to B in Las Vegas. Good morning, B. Good morning, Patrick. Um, I wanted to call you um, and talk to you a minute about caller from yesterday. I believe her name was Martha. She okay. called in about the Eucharistic Congress, and it ended up um, talking about her own divorce and remarriage. Um, right. And she was very, very upset. Um, I wanted to thank you because uh, I was at a time divorced and remarried. Um, and what I found is that there is either a kind of um, simplistic, non-truthful handling of people in that situation or um, a sarcastic, you're an adulterer, that kind of a thing. Condemnation. A, mm -hmm. Yes. And it's rare to find a person like you were yesterday who genuinely cares enough to explain what can be done to help a person in that scenario. And it oftentimes people in that situation don't understand why 
they're in that situation. And it might seem simple, but it isn't in their minds. They don't mm-hmm. understand it. And Good the church point. is very um, reluctant to explain, hey, you're in a state of adultery. I ha- asked so many priests, why can't I receive the Eucharist? Uh, what is wrong? What ha- I didn't leave my first marriage. My ex-husband left the marriage, and as you know, takes two people to get married, only one to get divorced. I didn't have a choice. Yeah, you were the victim that he he walked out on the marriage, right? On the marriage and three beautiful young children and 15 years of life. And oh, yes, um, which it's fine. My life is blessed now. My children are doing okay. They're all grown. But I didn't understand why I was in a state of moral sin until Relevant Radio <laughs> taught me. And it was first Mother Angelica, who was very blunt and said, if you're divorced and remarried, you are not Catholic. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was like a punch in the gut. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would phrase it that way, but um, it gets your attention, okay. doesn't it? It makes you start thinking about it, it right? It did. And it was an eight-year journey, and thankfully I have an amazing new husband, and we went through everything, including all of the emotional junk that had to be sought through to get to a point where, and I'll be honest, I even had to forgive the church for not teaching me this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I know this? Why did I get into this situation? Anyway, I think the point of my call is just to say I, it's so important to have you because you're one of the few sources where a person can come in this situation and not feel uh, and know and be told very gently the truth and and the solution and I I'm very very grateful to all of you there for everything you do and I'm I am now fully married in the church as of this past October and can't wait to celebrate this Lent and be able to receive the Lord. And I actually love confession now. It's such a joy. And you guys changed my life. And Martha, keep going. It's an amazing change in your life. You know, you you said something interesting, baby, and, and I think you'll be happy to know that that was such an important call that came in yesterday from Martha that we we have it now as a social media clip so people on Twitter, Facebook, what have oh. you, can can listen to her call. And you said that she was very upset and, and she was. She was she was confused. She was maybe even distraught because she started crying. But I noticed that she started crying when she realized that the solution was there for her, which I think is what you're referring yeah. to. When she realized I am not stuck, I don't have to be stuck in this situation. God has a path for me. Yeah, that was a real breakthrough for her, wasn't it? It absolutely was. It was for me, too. It took a little while to get there and understand fully what that was. But once I did, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. And once it happened, I, Mm -hmm. it was, it was, I don't even know how to describe it, but to know liberating. that I was fully Catholic again, mm-hmm. it was liberating. It was everything. It was everything because That's I could beautiful. receive Lord. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. So all of the all the preliminaries leading up to where you are now, the annulment process and all of that, um, a lot of people don't understand those things. And and I think you're right. And, and I'd like to just underscore the point of what you're making. When the Catholic faith and the nature of marriage and the importance of, you know, the, the permanence of the marriage bond and all, all the things that go into this, when they're explained clearly, it doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes these things can be complicated, but if an explanation can be given that is clear and understandable, I found that goes a long way toward clearing up confusions and heartache and things like that. So it makes me happy to know that you're seeing the same thing. Absolutely. And just one more small point for me, especially in preparing for the new marriage, um, I have always read the catechism, but someone recommended the Baltimore catechism to me. And wow, what a difference. It's just simple. It's easy to read, simple, to the point. And I think the first two books are for children. And so it may sound silly, but reading that, if if you're confused, it really does simplify it for you and make it a lot easier to understand. And it's obviously it's not about annulment in there, but even just the examination of conscience and the difference between mortal and venial sin mm-hmm. um, and how to make a good confession, that stuff, it really helps me with that. So I don't know. That was uh, an easier thing for people. I'm happy to hear that, too. Situation. I wish that every Catholic family had a copy of the Baltimore Catechism in it. The St. Joseph edition is probably the one that you have, right? It's got a gray cover with Jesus on the front. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wish every Catholic family had that, not only for the kids, but for the parents, just to thumb through it, clarify, remember, oh yeah, I forgot. That's part of the the church's teaching. It's just so helpful. And, And I completely agree with you that something as simple, but as direct and and clear as the Baltimore Catechism, St. Joseph edition, can make all the difference. So it's uh, yeah. it's good to hear you saying these things, because <laughs> I'm with you on that, for sure. Well, thank you for everything. I really appreciate you and all of Relevant Radio and just caring about people's souls this much. It makes a world of difference for people. Thank you so much, B. God bless you and your family. And thank you for... Thank you. You blessed you us well. here at Relevant Radio by calling in today. Thank you for that. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you got it. Bye-bye. 888-914-9149. How about Paul now in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin? That sounds like you got some uh, good, good fishing up there, Paul, huh? <laughs> well, I think that's just the name of the town. Got I'm it. not sure. <laughs> I haven't fished there. Um, <laughs> so I've got maybe a little bit of a simpler question, but I've been shared uh, literature about religion in the past. And um, in particular, I, I remember reading one um, one piece about a Christian church, uh, and it was talking about salvation and how uh, we are saved. And when it talked about the Catholic faith, it talked about how um, the Catholics believe that uh, salvation comes through sacraments, right? And, uh, you know, I am Catholic, as mm-hmm. confirmed uh, last year. Um, so uh, my, I guess my question is, if uh, salvation comes through the sacraments and sacraments can only be appropriately um, done by priests, um, how do I 
how do I answer the question that salvation is not a priest is not a requirement for salvation as a Catholic? And um, how do I approach it? Maybe that quote unquote mm-hmm. argument about Catholicism. Why don't we start here? Like what that really I, I can what, what that really means. Yeah. I can do that, yeah. So why don't we start with the words of Jesus, and this is the, the best place of all to start. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus also says, It's not the one who says to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the one who does my will, who, who follows me. You know, why do you say to me, Jesus says, why, why do you call me? This is Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So that leads us to the next question, which is, well, what does Jesus tell us? Well, let's take a look, for example, since we're talking about the sacraments, let's take a look at John chapter 6. And this is what's known as the bread of life discourse. So if, I, if you're jotting down notes, I would start off, first of all, with those two passages that I just quoted. So we have Jesus saying in Luke chapter 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? It's a way of saying it's not enough for you to just to acknowledge me as Lord and you know preach sermons and read the Bible and all that. But if you're not doing what I'm telling you to do, that's really not going to help you. Or in Matthew 7, 22, 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And you know how this ends. Jesus says, I will then declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. We just had this passage read to us at Mass. So let's use these statements of Jesus as the starting point. Now let's like take a look at John chapter 6. Now in John chapter 6, Jesus starts preaching about the bread of life. And he starts by referring to them in, in so far as those who he fed in the multiplication of the loaves. So in verse 26, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him has God the Father set his seal." Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's speaking about himself. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes, now listen closely to these words because it's directly Jesus' response to the people who make these foolish claims that, well, the church says you have to be saved through the sacraments. The church says you have to be saved through the priests. Jesus, or the Bible says salvation. They're completely missing the point. <laughs> they're pitting scripture against itself. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. So he's using this analogy of coming to him and having faith in him. Then he proceeds from there to say something even more momentous. He says, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And, and then beginning in verse um, 41, he says, The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Then in verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This, you can imagine him tapping his chest even, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. We're talking about what? Salvation. Verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. What is that? Salvation. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. And he continues in that vein for, for several more verses. Now, the point is, not to put too fine a point on it, Paul, Jesus is here basically clobbering them over the heads with his teaching that if you want salvation, you need to receive the sacrament, the sacrament of the Holy mm -hmm. Eucharist that he instituted at the Last Supper. It's as, it's as plain as it could possibly be. And when people say, but yeah, yeah, Lord, but, you know, we do mighty deeds in your name and we preach about you and we sing hymns about you and we read the Bible about you, but we don't do that. We, we don't believe that that's really necessary for salvation. And Jesus says, it is necessary for salvation. So I'll leave it at that. Another sacrament in passing, because I have to take a break, Paul. John chapter 3. 
Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus wants to know how to be saved. Jesus says, uh, he says, uh, no one can be saved except by being born again of water in the Holy Spirit. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven without being born again from water in the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus misunderstands him. How can a man once born go back into his mother's womb? He doesn't understand what Jesus means. Jesus is talking about the sacrament of baptism. And he says there and elsewhere, he says, baptism is necessary for salvation. Jesus says it. And he says it so emphatically that it boggles my mind that people can read these words and say, well, yeah, but. So try that tack, Paul. I have a feeling it will open a few eyes. Thank you. I'll be right back. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. An Illinois life insurance company not available in all states. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. We are back, as you can probably tell, and as you probably also know, Lent is right around the corner, not too far off, so you can make your Lenten journey with your parish this year with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, sponsored in part by the National Center for Padre Pio. These free daily videos are bite-sized explorations of prayers and postures that will transform your perspective on the Mass and re-energize your parish community. So pray fast and serve these 40 days with 40 lessons and Father's weekly Eucharistic Encounters. You can sign up for free and share it with your family at relevantradio.com slash Lent. Quick note that came in. This is a little off the beaten path. Um, And this is from Anna. I have to always double check to make sure the person doesn't ask to be kept anonymous. It's not my preference, but Anna didn't ask me that. And she says, I'm a revert and enjoying learning about our Catholic faith through your show. Thanks for sharing and sparking fascinating conversations. Well, thank you for that. Something, she says, has been troubling me for a long time and led me to change parishes. A new priest started as the pastor at my local parish. He has a large dog, an English retriever. That's fine. One of our last pastors, one of our recent pastors had dogs, and I'm a dog person. However, this priest keeps his dog in the sacristy during Mass, and at the end of Mass, when the priest is processing out, he calls to the dog, and it ambles across the sanctuary to follow him in the procession. He does this at every Mass I've attended since he started at this parish. And on one occasion, the dog came out of the sacristy and laid down in the sanctuary during the Mass and was in the way of the altar service. I'm appalled. And this caused me to find a new parish. I would love to hear your thoughts on dogs in the sanctuary and during the procession during Mass. Okay. Well, um, I'm with you on this issue. This is unnecessary. And yeah, if, you know, if the priest, and I know many priests who have dogs and they love their dogs. The dogs are great companions. I mean, who doesn't love a dog, right? So nothing against dogs and nothing against priests or anyone else who likes dogs. There's no, no problem with that. It's all great. But the mass is not the place for your pet dog 
to be ambling across the sanctuary when you, the priest, are processing out. That's It's inappropriate. Hey, isn't that great? Father loves his dog. Oh, isn't that great? The dog's with father and the altar boys in the, the procession. That's inappropriate. Keep your dog in the rectory. Keep your dog. If you must have your dog in the sacristy, I wouldn't, but if you, if you're, if you must have your dog in the sacristy, then close the door to the sacristy, which is not convenient because the altar servers are going in and out of the sacristy typically during Mass. You love your dog, that's great. But you don't have to turn the dog into a spectacle. The, the, the dog is not needed. I mean, if you're blind, that's different. But you're clearly not blind. So it, it's gimmicky, it's, it's unnecessary, it's idiosyncratic, it's, it's, it's not in keeping, it's inappropriate with the august solemnity of what is happening at Mass. Does it make you popular with the dog crowd? Yeah, but so what? I mean, that's not why you're celebrating Mass in the first place, Reverend Father. So my humble advice would be, there are many ways you can show affection and love for your dog and let the parish show affection and love for your dog. But having your dog at Mass, it's a distraction. It's unnecessary. It's inappropriate. That's what I would say. And if I were a bishop and uh, something like that was brought to my attention, and Father, he, the bishop, the, the priest, he, he's got his dog at Mass all the time, and it's distracting. I would have a pleasant phone call with Father, and I would say, you know, Father, um, let's not do that anymore. That's how I would handle it. Now, you can't do that because you're not the bishop. So what I would suggest, Anna, is to do what you did. I mean, it's always painful to say, leave your parish and go to a different parish. It's not by any means my default recommendation. But sometimes, you know, you just, you kind of get forced into a situation where what's the alternative? You go to Mass every Sunday and you're distracted and irked. That's not a good way to live. And really, as I said, it's the responsibility of the parish priest to know better, to exercise some common sense, to recognize that, you know, yeah, I love my dog, but it's distracting to people and it's inappropriate. Or at least that guy on the radio said so. And I really do believe that. So nothing against dogs, nothing against people who love dogs, but mass, unless you're blind and you need your dog, your service dog, which is different, um, leave the dog at home. 888-914-9149. How about Jonathan now in Phoenix? Good morning, Jonathan. Yo, Jonathan. Hi there. Hi, Pat. You got a bad feeling about this? Oh, here we go. Right on. Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. It's great to talk to you again, Patrick, and hello, everybody at Relevant Radio. Thank you. I just wanted to ask you a quick question. We discussed a topic in uh, OCIA class yesterday. Um, about the significance of confession with a priest as opposed to you just directly talking to God in prayer. Mm -hmm. That's hoping I can get your input on it. Sure. Go for it. Hit me. Oh, I, that was my question. I'm sorry. I, I, oh, <laughs> I was, I'm sorry. I was waiting for you to, to ask me a question. Okay, so run it by me again because I didn't realize that was the question. I'll say it again. Um, we did listen to Father Mike Schmitz briefly discuss it, but he's, it's a lot to unpack when he talks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was discussing the topic of uh, confession and the significance it brings 
doing it with a priest as opposed to just praying yourself and mm-hmm. asking for forgiveness of your sins. Okay, so you would like me to comment on that aspect of the teaching? Yes, and it, it's significant, you know, how, how important it is to go to a priest and mm-hmm. go to confession for your, your sins. Okay, let's start with what Jesus said. So in John chapter 20, and if you want context, you can begin reading in verse 20, but you see where Jesus has risen from the dead now, and he's appearing to the apostles. And he says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now that has significance, because how did the Father send Jesus? He sent him to forgive sins. He sent the Son to save us from our sins. So when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, the context biblically is to participate in a subordinate way, but to to extend or to minister this salvation and reconciliation with God and forgiveness of sins through the work of the apostles. Then we're told he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he gives them special power. Some people are under the misimpression that the only thing that is God-breathed, theopneustos is the Greek term that's used in 2 Timothy 3.16, they mistakenly think that the only thing that the Bible talks about as being God-breathed is the Scriptures themselves, but that's not true, because in John chapter 20, we're told that the apostles become God-breathed. Jesus breathed on them and imparted the Holy Spirit and then said, he who sins you forgive are forgiven them, or forgiven him, and he who sins you retain or hold bound are held bound. So he grants them this unique authority to forgive sins in his name, and the church has always understood that it's through the ministry of the priests in what's known as auricular confession. That has to do with the Latin word for ear, that you confess your sins into, in essence, the ear of the priest. And so this is the the foundation, the Christ-established foundation for the con- the sacrament of confession, also known as reconciliation. Now, what's interesting is this is not in any way to negate or undermine the importance of confessing your sins directly to the Father. Jesus also says that, that we are to confess our sins directly to God, and so we do. And as I was saying earlier in the program today, that you're not even properly disposed to go to sacramental confession unless you have first confessed your sins to the Father in your heart. Only then are you really able to make a good sacramental confession. Now, this tracks, interestingly, in terms of the role of the priests, this tracks with what St. James says in James chapter 5. So he says in verse 13, "'Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any Among you sick, let him call for the elders, the presbyters, and that's the word from which we get in English the word priests. Let him call for the presbyters, the priests of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So you notice that this forgiveness of sins through a different sacrament, in this case it's the sacrament of holy anointing, or extreme unction as it used to be called, it carries with it, through the ministry of the presbyters, the priests, it carries with it the forgiveness of sins. Now the very next verse, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. So in context here, we see the ministry of the priest present not only in the sacrament of holy anointing, but more specifically in terms of confession, and it's verbal confession, confess your sins to one another. Now, contextually, this phrase, confess your sins to one another, far more often uh, than not, it involves um, speaking to another person. It doesn't mean so much like testifying publicly, but rather saying something to another person. And so, we can see the allusion here to the ministry of the priest. So just to give you a sense from the scriptures about the role of this sacrament given by Jesus, some could say, well, I don't want to do that. Well, then I would say take that up with Jesus because he is the one who established the sacrament. He's the one who said to them, who sinned you forgive or forgiven, and who sinned you hold bound or held bound. Then one last thing, Jonathan, I would refer people to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and in the latter part of the chapter, we see the incident with the leper who approaches Jesus and asks to be healed. Now, this is a great analogy with the sacrament of confession. The leper is you or me, the guilty sinner. The leprosy is this disfiguring, even lethal and highly contagious condition of sin, by way of analogy. Jesus, being God is uh, the leper approaches him and says, Lord, I know that if you wish to heal me, you can do so. That's analogous to you in your heart asking the Lord to forgive you of your sins. You're approaching him as a penitent. And Jesus, hearing this, says, I do will that you be healed. Be healed. And then and there, the leper is healed. And that's analogous to when you are truly repentant and you ask God for forgiveness, he forgives you then and there. Now what happens is, then Jesus, after healing the leper, he doesn't say, okay, have a nice day. You're healed now. You know, have a nice day. See you later. He doesn't say that. He says, now go into the city and show yourself to the priest and then perform the sacrifice prescribed by the law of Moses. And this detail, it tracks perfectly with, if we're using this analogy of leprosy, with sin, because the sacrament of confession is, it's a way of restoring the guilty sinner, you and me, to not just a right relationship with God, but also the right relationship with the body of Christ, all the members of the body of Christ. St. Paul speaks at great length about this, in Romans chapter 12, and even at greater length in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the reason that Jesus sent this leper to the priest was so that the priest could verify that the man had indeed been healed and pronounce him officially, publicly pronounce him no longer unclean and now able to come back into the day-to-day -day life that he once knew before he got leprosy. He could return to his wife and children. He could return to his job. He could enter into the community and mingle with people, whereas before he would, he would have been required by the law of Moses to stay away from everybody and shout unclean if anyone got near him, lest they get this terrible disease from him. And all of those things are now abolished, and he is now reintegrated into society. So it's a perfect parallel with the sacrament of confession, and the two go together. 
going to God and going to the priest. And Jesus established it that way. Now, I'm running into a break time right now, Jonathan, so I'll pause there. Any follow-up thoughts or any questions about any of that? No, I appreciate all your knowledge and uh, sharing it with me. I'll uh, have to look into the verses again. I I know Father Mike Schmitz mentioned a couple that you did as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Before you go to break, I just wanted to praise St. Bernadette, all the clergy and the parishioners there. (laughs) Oh, the parish? Yes. Yeah. St. Bernadette is one of the most beautiful Catholic churches, and I've been in quite a few, and that's among the most beautiful. And it's in Scottsdale. And Jonathan, did you and I talk about this when you were sort of making your way back into the church, and I recommended Uh, checking in there? I'm a convert. Yeah, I'm a convert. I've been attending St. Bernadette's for about five months now. Um, Wonderful. I was a heathen before, so now I I have, I'm not alone anymore. So it's beautiful to walk the journey at St. Bernadette's, Father Don Klein and Father Andreas. And if you could say a prayer for Father, um, man, I've just faced it. Father John? He's having, um, I, I love talking to him every day. Poor guy. Just is he is he in ill health? Surgery. He's, he's an older gentleman. I, I cannot remember his name. I haven't seen him in about two weeks. Um, well, I can look it up on the parish website, but yes, indeed, we will pray for him. And I now that you mention this, I do remember our conversation from before. So I'm glad you're happy there at home at St. Bernadette Parish in, um, in Scottsdale. Anybody got, going through Phoenix, or even if you live there and you've never seen St. Bernadette Parish, man, oh man, check it out. It's like walking into heaven. And you'll see what I mean when you see it. Thanks, Jonathan. I'll be right back. This hour is sponsored by Christendom College. Send your child to Christendom College's high school summer program, The Best Week Ever. Use promo code RELEVANTRADIO and get 50% off. Spots fill up very quickly, so apply today at thebestweekever.com. That's thebestweekever.com. Hello. Hello again. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Real life solutions you can believe in. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Okay, back to the phones. Margaret in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you for calling and welcome. Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you for listening to me. Uh, I had Happy a quick to. question. That's why I'm here. All right. Uh, and it's about prayer. Uh, uh, this is just, so, I, I know that we're supposed to pray and that God hears all prayer, but it seems selfish sometimes to pray for little things for yourself uh, when there's so much bad stuff going on in the world. And I know God hears all prayer equally and God's God, not me. And God does things differently, but it just, it seems selfish sometimes to pray for something like let the roof not leak when it rains, Mm -hmm. when somebody down the street's about to, you know, go through surgery or all the battles Mm -hmm. and wars in the world. And then my other question is, so is it lazy then to pray just, 
God take care of everything or thy will be done upon the earth and, and not pray for individuals and, and wars. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. end. Well, um, would it be okay if I start with the issue of prayer first? Maybe talk Certainly. about that a little bit? Okay. So what I'm thinking of is that when Jesus gives us the prayer, our Father, notice what he says. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And and actually, before he says that, in verse 8, he says, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And notice he says he knows what you need, your own personal needs. Pray then like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses or debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So each of these things is personal. It's it's focused upon your own personal needs. So the, f- the first things, of course, they will be done. Then the, the daily bread means both the Holy Eucharist, the super substantial bread that he's referring to there, but also our daily needs. So what do you need during the day? What are your, what are your material and emotional needs? Then forgive us our trespasses. That's personal. You know, forgive me of my sins as I also forgive others. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. So we're praying for everybody, but we're also praying for ourselves. So I think that that's a clue that Jesus reminds us to ask the Father for the things that you want. You know, what do you want? What do you need? And the Father delights in you asking. It doesn't mean that there's anything selfish about that. If somebody prayed only for himself and never prayed for anyone else, you know, I could see a point there, but my guess, Margaret, is you probably do a lot of both, right? You pray for other people, you pray for the Pope, you pray for your neighbors, you pray for me because I need it so much, but you also pray for you. I think that's the balance. I In, do, but I, mm-hmm. I, I oftentimes, like, I pray for all the poor souls in purgatory and the least in purgatory, all my teachers. and I, I go through like a, lit, a litany like that of all the people I've ever met in my life, all the people I've never met in my life, all the people that have ever lived, all the people that will live, you know, that kind of, of prayer. But is that lazy prayer? I mean, no, should I you so. name people sure. and, and just say, you know, God, I'm, I mean, I know you're supposed to say, God, I'm putting it in your hands. But if you say, God, I'm putting it in your hands. And There's I don't nothing lazy about say, that. Okay. Here's why I say that, Margaret, because, well, at least if you're like I am, I can't remember all the people I promised to pray for. There are just too many of them, and I don't have that many brain cells, so I can't remember. I can't remember all the things that, if I'm paying attention to what's going on in the world, all the people who need prayer, but your prayer, God still hears your prayer and answers your prayers according to his providence, whether you name names or you just as a group, Lord, for all the people I promised to pray for, I pray for them. I'll give you an example from my own experience. Every morning, part of my show prep involves praying the rosary, and I pray the rosary for you, Margaret in Kingwood, Texas. But I'm also praying it for all the other people who are listening to the program. I don't know their names. I don't know where they are. I don't know how many of them there are. All I know is that there are a lot of people who are listening. So when I pray before each show, 
I am praying for you, but I don't necessarily know your name. But that's okay. I don't have to in order for those prayers to have their effect. Do you see what I mean? In other words, the fact that you're praying and offering these intentions is in itself enough. If you can remember the names, or maybe you've got a list of names, some people do that, that's great, but it's not necessary for the prayers to have their effect. Okay, so just praying your will be done upon the earth, and then Mm -hmm. really meaning that, like, no matter what, whether it's my will or yours, I wish they were the same, but, you know, how that goes, that's okay. It's just like if somebody asks you what are your prayer intentions and you say that, that encompasses... All the, everything, yeah. doesn't it? Everything. Okay. Everything. Yeah. I have a, a prayer that I pray regularly, Lord, for these and all the sins of my past life, I am truly sorry. When I go to confession, that's part of my prayer, for these and all the sins of my life. I can't remember them all. <laughs> there have been too many sins. Oh, I wish it weren't yeah, true. There's just too many. I can't <laughs> remember them. So, Lord, for these and all the sins of my life, I am truly sorry. And that covers everything. Okay, then a quick follow-up question. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for that answer, sure. by the way. That that, that really helped. Um, so I think it was St. Teresa, or it could have been Mother Angelica, but somewhere somebody told me that you should ask once and not hammer heaven because God heard the first time, leave him alone. <laughs> well, I don't agree with that. that might have been- that might have been Mother Angelica. <laughs> Here, here's like why I don't agree with that. Because okay. Jesus gives us an example of the unjust judge, and he talks about the persistent widow. And the whole point of this is that the, the widow was coming to this corrupt, unjust judge, and she would not leave him alone. She kept just pestering him and harassing him, give me a judgment, give me a judgment. Finally, the guy said, enough. I, I, yes, of course, I'll give you what you want. Just leave me alone, lady. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, if even a corrupt judge, if even a sinner like that guy, if even he will give the the answer, he'll 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 give in and give what the woman was petitioning him for. How much more so will your heavenly Father do this for you? He's good. He loves you. He's not wicked like that judge. How much more so will he listen to your prayers? So the Lord there was emphasizing, in in my view at least, he was emphasizing the importance of pestering God. And keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I guess I could understand if somebody says, ask God and leave it in his hands. And yeah, I mean, there's a certain sense in which God doesn't forget your prayer. That's true. But Jesus extols the, the persistent widow. And we are called to be like her, to pray always, as Jesus also said. I'll leave it at that, though, Margaret. Great chatting with you, and I'm glad you called in today. How about Father Lawrence in Texas? Hello, Father Lawrence. Well, hi. Good morning. I have a question. Uh, sure. Uh, there, there seems to be a, a lot of confusion. Um, I, I remember uh, a revered... Uh, Father, I think you still have the radio on, if I'm not mistaken. It's confusing me because I hear it in the background. Oh, no, I have no music on or radio on. I hear somebody talking. Oh, that's me. 
How about this? Um, Cyrus, would you have young Thomas pick up with Father Lawrence? We'll see if, Father, if we can get this audio situation cleared up because I'm hearing somebody else talking. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Mike now in Chicago. Hi, Mike. Hi, Patrick. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. Patrick, uh, I'm an older person. I'm in my mid-60s, and I have a family, a cradle Catholic. Parents were immigrants, uh, Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, Catholic college, five children. Four of the five are doing spectacularly. My oldest child, uh, not so much. Uh, And I don't think, I don't believe that the problems started with my oldest child when he was a freshman and a sophomore in college. Uh, I had to yank him out of college. Uh, That was a number of years ago. I sent him to somewhere else where he did well. He was living under our roof and doing well. But then uh, he he reverted back to some old habits. And, you know, it's now a number of years later. And, uh, Patrick, the best way to describe it is I would say he hates my guts. Mm. Okay. And I mean, and not, not in a, like, just don't be around me. I mean, like in a vile course, insulting, profane, disgusting reference. Every time we read his birthday was recently my text. We don't communicate. He doesn't want to speak to me because apparently I'm such a uh, vociferous liar that he, he only wants written proof of what I've said. Okay. And forgive me, Mike, we only have about 90 seconds now, so I hate to rush you, but... I wish you a happy birthday. That started a torrent of abuse. How do I deal with it? I'm so sorry that you're going through this, because as his father and you love him, it's shameful that he's treating you this way. But sometimes children can be that way. I'm sorry that you're having to deal with that. My instinct would be to say, just leave him be. Don't approach him, don't send him a text, don't call him, don't try to, you know, be in contact with him. And maybe a lot of time will have to pass before he simmers down and has a restoration of a relationship with you. Sometimes that happens. Um, Who knows what's going on in his mind and soul that he would be so abusive to his own father. What a terrible thing. But my sense of it, Mike, is that the best thing based on what you're telling me, is just let it be and see where things go. And pray, obviously, that in due time the Lord will heal his heart toward you and that there can be a reconciliation. But it could take a while. It could take a long time. Sorry to say. I appreciate it, Patrick. Thank you very much for the word You're welcome, Mike. Thank you. God bless you. And uh, hang in there. I know this can be very difficult for a dad. But hang in there. And I'll be with you again tomorrow, St. Pat time, St. Pat channel. Until then, please pray for me and I'll pray for you.